So Jesus is still having this intimate discussion with the disciples, the apostles, about what's fixing to take place. And he already told them once, right, at the beginning of John 14, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let them be harassed. Don't, don't, don't be tossed to and fro. And that goes back to what I was saying earlier because, I mean, these apostles, they walked with Jesus. They experienced him. They had this experience that I just mentioned earlier, but yet they still came to a place of doubt and unbelief. And of course, it's easy for that to happen because uh, the outer man will look at the things that are outer, the things that are superficial, and have the tendency to, to believe in the wrong thing, to focus on the wrong thing. And so you can almost hear the urgency and the carefulness in the words and the voice of Jesus. He's concerned for them. And he's says to him, these things I've spoken to you while being present with you, while I was abiding with you and enduring with you. Every day, remember, that's how he spent his time teaching the disciples, not concerned with other things per se. Yes, he did heal people as he was walking, but he was consumed by raising these disciples up. And he said, these things I've, uh, I've spoken to you. So that you'd have to ask, okay, what things? Well, the important things. Of course, every single thing that he shared with them and he told them, but the important thing that I came with a purpose in mind, and that was to be the ultimate sacrifice for sin. And I'm going to die as atonement. And my blood is going to be the blood that's shed for the uh, forgiveness of those sins. And I'm not only going to die, but I'm going to rise again, and I'm going to ascend back into heaven. And because I do that, I'm going to come for all those who believe upon me. Now, that alone should be just a rejoicing inside, because if we know sin, and if we know that there is no remedy for sin, then we know that we're doomed. But because of what Jesus did, we're no longer doomed, but now we're justified in His sight when we believe upon Him. So it brings upon a joy. But then you have to put yourself in their shoes because this joy, they don't understand it, of course, yet because it hasn't happened. We do because we've read it. But he said, I've been abiding and enduring with you, and I've been speaking these things to you. He says, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, who the Father will send in my name, is going to teach you all things and bring them to your remembrance. Everything that I said to you, that but, that but is a promise. Yes, I'm leaving, but there's going to be someone else here that is going to help you. He calls him the helper. Another translation, the comforter. The Greek word means that this is an advocate. Now, an advocate is one who pleads for another's case or cause. He's going to help you out. He's going to comfort you. He's going to do all of these things in my place. He's going to come in my name, Jesus said. Now, that's important because the Holy Spirit doesn't come in His name. Now, of course, we know that they're all one, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So why didn't He just say that the Holy Spirit is going to come or be sent? He says He's going to be sent in my name because those three letters or those three words right there, in my name, they're very important when it comes to Scripture. And it doesn't mean a formula for doing things, right? Because we like to seal our prayers off with in the name of Jesus. We like to do baptisms in the name of Jesus. And we like to do so many other things in the name of Jesus. But this is not necessarily uh, a formula that God, God has given us. Can we finish a prayer and just say amen? Is it going to be just as good? Absolutely it is. But in my name, it means everything by which his name means. Now we're stuttering, studying the characteristics of God, that He is love, He is compassion, He has freedom, He is omni, uh, omnipotent. All these things we're learning. So in my name means all of those things. It's a big umbrella. It's a big umbrella that fall, and we fall under there and everything has to line up with who Jesus Christ is. 
So he's coming to bear witness of Jesus Christ, not to bear witness of himself. And another part of Scripture says that, that the Holy Spirit doesn't bear witness of himself. So what is he going to do? He's going to teach all things. He's going to teach them. Because even though the Bible says that there's teachers in the church, it's not necessarily the teacher that's teaching you, but it's the Holy Spirit of God. Because when someone is teaching something, there's going to be certain individuals in the room that aren't going to get it. There's going to be some that are going to get it. Was that the teacher who did that? No, it wasn't the teacher who did that, but it was the Spirit of God who caused them to be able to see that. Now, if this Holy Spirit is sent, we know that everything that is sent by God has a purpose. So there's a purpose that the Holy Spirit came, and that's to equip the believer so that we're not alone. We don't have an excuse. As a matter of fact, we have every right now to be able to do everything that's required of us by God. Why? Because every believer has the Holy Spirit. Now, this includes the apostles as well. And he's going to bring to remembrance... Everything that he's already taught them and told them. Now this word, to bring to remembrance, it, it comes from a base word that means that this comes through the idea of gnawing. Have you ever paid attention to a dog that gets one of those bones and he'd sit there for hours and just chew on it and chew on it and chew on it? Or maybe he'll grab your favorite sprinkler. And he'll chew on it and chew on it and chew on it until he's pretty much chewed it all up. This would be the type of picture of what this is talking about. It's a consuming. Now, does the Holy Spirit just do that alone? Well, it works in relation with us. As we seek through the Word of God, as we're studying, as we're reading, and we're praying, and throughout the whole day, we should be consumed by the Word of God, and everything is being brought to remembrance as we're doing that, as we're gnawing on the Word of God. Have you ever heard the phrase in the Old Testament, chewing the cud? The Israelites could only eat of the animals, the hoofed animals that chewed the cud. Now, in my early years, I, what does chewing the cud mean? But, of course, we know that everything's in the Bible for a purpose. Well, chewing the cud means these animals that chew the cud, what it means is they have more than one stomach. And when they chew, they swallow. And when everything's being processed and, and the stomach that it goes down to, it's pulling, down, it's pulling out as many nutrients as possible. And then when it's pulled all that it can, it brings it back up into the mouth. And it starts to chew a second time. And after it chews even more out of that, it swallows it and now it goes into the second stomach where it's going to process even more out and then it gets the, his body gets rid of it. Now that entails of us is, okay, we don't have two stomachs, but we have our heart, we have our, our soul that the Bible talks of and we chew these things in our mind and we're supposed to let it drop down into our, into our soul. And then during the day, we bring that back up into our mind again where we gnaw at it and we chew at it. And we, we continue through prayer, through meditation. This is a gnawing. This is a consuming. This is the picture of an animal chewing the cud. And this is how the Holy Spirit does. They bring all things to remembrance because if we don't do this process, we're not going to remember anything. Nothing at all. And he says, peace I give to you. I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Now this peace speaks of the tranquil state of a soul, assured of its salvation through Christ. And when it's at that point, it fears nothing from God, not even death. And it's content with its earthly lot or with its earthly portion. Whatever that might be. God gave me just a little bit. I'm happy. God gave me a lot. I'm happy. Either way, as our brother Paul would say, whether I am in lack or I am in abundance, I'm content. Whatever God deals us, Yes, to some he deals a bigger blessing. To some he, builds, he, he gives less of a blessing. 
But he says, I don't give to you this peace as the world gives. Now we know how the world gives. The world gives very selfishly. But God gives selflessly. When God gives, there is no, uh, the, there is no taking back, per se. God gives to us, and once He gives, it is what it is. He says, don't be troubled again. Second time, John chapter 14, do not be troubled. It means not to be, uh, or, or don't be afraid either. Now, this is something that when this coronavirus hit, a lot of people took it kind of to an extreme level because there is some people who had fear, maybe to leave the house or maybe to go eat at a restaurant or what have you. And so people were saying, where's your faith at? You're operating and you're not having faith. Now we have to be reminded that the emotion of fear, it's a God-given fear. It's, it's God-given. He gives it. He placed it inside of us. Satan didn't put fear inside of us. God gave us that emotion so that we could feel it. But when the Bible talks about not having a spirit of fear, when the Bible talks about not being fearful, what it means is don't be consumed by that fear. Don't buckle down because of that fear. But do we all have fear? Absolutely we do. But it's when we become consumed by it. Or rather we can trust God in the middle of it. But this fear that he says, do not be afraid, says, don't be troubled. We know what that means. Don't be agitated in your mind. Don't be being tossed to and from. And don't be afraid. Don't be timid. Don't be fearful. Or actually, don't be cowardice through dreading. Because that's another area that comes through, is people can become a little cowardly when it comes to the things of God because we dread the outcome. Well, what are they going to think about me? What are they going to say about me? What's going to happen if I stand up in this area or if I say something about it? And so because of it, you dread saying anything. Now, again, I will top it off and say it's not our attitude that should offend. Let the Word of God offend if the Word of God is going to offend, but our attitude should always uh, do the extreme opposite of it. It's important that we do know that because if our attitude offends along with the Word of God, then we're not operating the way that God would have us to operate. He said, you heard me say to you that I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. Now, how many times does a believer have to hear to be able to take God at His Word? Because how many times do we read it? I mean, many of us have been reading it for years. Uh, many of us, we listen to the Word of God and we've heard so many sermons, but what is it going to take for us to be able to take God at His Word? To say, the Bible says that God told me I'm going to stand on it and I'm going to believe in it, no matter what the outcome is. Because that is what we see happening with the disciples right now. They walked with them day in and day out for three years. And Jesus is pounding this into them. I've said these things to you. I need you to trust. Why is it so difficult? Why is it so difficult to believe God at His word? Why is it difficult when we see unsaved family members? Or when we see people uh, such as our children that they don't come to the Lord the way we would desire. Why is it so difficult for us to just turn our eyes off of them and put them on God and say, God, I'm just going to trust you. Why is it so difficult? Because it's usually at that point where we're operating according to the outer man rather than the inner man. It's not an easy thing. Make no mistake about it. It is not an easy thing. But we have the promise that we can do all these things through Christ who strengthens us. Now he says, if you love me. Now this is challenging because he said, if you, if you love me, then you would rejoice because I said I'm going to the Father. You would be excited because you would know what this means for you. You'd be exceedingly glad. You would be thriving. And he goes on to say, but my father's greater than I. 
I'm going to the Father. Now, if you are a person who's taking this in and you're paying attention to the Word, then you know they're a trinity, but you would say, well, how, if Jesus is God, why is He saying that God is greater than Him? What He's talking about is greater in status because, remember, at that very moment, Jesus is in the flesh. He gave up so many rights to come down to this earth to do what He did for you and I and anybody else who follows Him. He gave up all these rights so that, so that we could have that and so at that point, yes, God had the greater status because he was up there. But that's another thing that maybe sometimes we don't take in. Everything that we gave up, or, or everything that he gave up, everything that he set aside, his royalty, and a lot of the abilities that he had, he gave up. One of them, for example, God's everywhere at one place. But when Jesus was in the flesh, he could only be at one place at one time. So he, he was limited to a certain amount, but he did that again because he was sent and there was a purpose in mind. And he says in verse 29, And now I've told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe. That's the whole result, that you would believe, that you would trust me, that your faith would flourish. Now this is going to happen. It's going to happen, and as much as depends on you, that you would believe and that you would trust. So he says, I'm not going to talk to you much uh, any longer because the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. The prince of this world, he's coming, Satan himself, but yet he has no part in me. We do, or we can have part in Christ, but Satan doesn't. And so what he's saying is, this isn't even because he's more powerful than me, but this is something that I'm allowing to happen, and I choose to happen. It's my desire. Why? Verse 31 says, so that the world may know. So that they may know what? That he loves the Father. This word of knowing is the word we've... Uh, brought up before us the gnosko. It is a very intimate, it is a very in-depth knowledge. I know so that the world would know, not just Christians or believers, but so that the world would know what? That he loves the Father. How is he going to demonstrate that he loves the Father? Because he's going to go do what he does at the cross. But I would add, add in there that obedience comes from submission and submission will only occur from love. So we have to love. We have to have a, a, a foundation of love. Then we can submit and it leads to obedience. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 8 says that Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered on the cross. How can Jesus learn anything if he's God? Luke chapter 24, last week we were there Verse 26, when he was talking to the two men on the road to Emmaus, and he kind of rebuked them, right, and said, slow of heart, you foolish ones. And he said, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things to enter into his glory? Shouldn't this have happened? If you say that you read the prophets and you know that's what the prophets say, that I am going to suffer, And so for the apostles, he was telling the apostles, look, I'm leaving, I'm coming back. But all these things that I've taught you, they're going to come to remembrance because Jesus already knows what's going to happen to these apostles. Now, if we read back a study on all the apostles, every single one of them was martyred. Everyone was killed against their will aside from the apostle John. Now, they tried to kill him. They put him in burning hot oil. He didn't die. So then he was shipped off to an island all by himself named Patmos. And there he spent the rest of his days. Imagine spending the rest of your days in an island all by yourself. But I'm sure that John was content with the lot that was given to him. I'm okay being alone with Christ. I'd rather be alone with Christ than to be on a, on, a, on a land surrounded by people, but yet without Christ. 
Because, of course, there is, a, there is a huge difference when it comes to that. I mean, one minute, one minute alone in the crushing presence of God is greater than five hours in the presence of people that are superficially with God. I mean, there is this crushing presence, and how do you know that it's the presence of God? Because I can't get up off of my knees and I'm just weeping. And that's when God starts to do a work uh, in, inside of us. But see, all of these apostles, they were going to face. Now, they were in a time living. It wasn't a good time. They were living around the time of King Nero. He was a bad guy. He wasn't very pleasant. I mean, he was killing Christians right and left. As a matter of fact, he would mock them and he put them up on stakes and he, and he would set them on fire. And he would say, there they are, the light of the world. Because they would use them to light up the path to, so that they could walk through. Burning Christians. Now Jesus said, I'm telling you these things, of course, so that when he's crucified, so that you may believe. But you're also going to have to remember all of these things because when that day comes, you're going to have to be able to stand. You're going to have to be able to stand or you're going to be fearful, you're going to be cowardice, and you're going to buckle down. You're going to back away. Now they know the ultimate, the ultimate ending of every Christian, and we talked about it last week, is going to heaven with Christ. It's going to heaven. It's not anything else. Now God in His goodness gives us blessings. God gives us so many things while we're here on this earth. But the ultimate thing is going to heaven. Now we can't scare an individual into heaven. That's not the right heart to say I want to go to heaven because I'm scared. I'm scared of hell and I don't want to go. No, we go to heaven because we see the beauty of Jesus Christ and I say I want to be with him because I know that I'm a sinful person and he is righteous, therefore he can save me. Now, does a fear from hell come after that? Yes, but the foundation is because I've seen who he is. Now, to the outward man, the carnal man, the, the worldly person, Isaiah would say there's nothing in him that we should desire him. There is nothing. He doesn't look like the pictures we've seen. Nobody knows what he looks like. I mean, there has been some studies where they actually say he was not a very handsome man. He was not very good looking. Which is the least of our importance. It is not because of what he looks like, but it is because of what he did. And this was something that was going to be hard for the apostles. And I'm sure that it was difficult but again, if we go back and read, all of those apostles died a death of a martyr. Paul was beheaded. Peter was crucified upside down. How were they able to endure that if it wasn't through faith? If it wasn't through faith? And you read Hebrews chapter 11, and it talks about this faith that they were able to. How were the three Hebrews thrown into the lion's den without them even worrying? How was Job tormented by Satan himself without him even being concerned and just saying, though he slay me, yet I will still trust in my God. And today we use the same concept because, see, we're not sent like the apostles were. But we are sent as disciples to our home, to our families, to the other people out there in the world. And it's something that we need to remember that we've heard these things. And in hearing this, the importance of being experiential with Jesus, experiencing Him. If we're not experiencing Him, then we are missing out on so much. Experiencing Him through prayer. Experiencing Him through so many things. But above all, through suffering. Now that word comes out and that's where a lot of people get disconnected. I don't want to hear anymore. But I know that every single person in this room, young and old, they're very acquainted with suffering in some way, shape, or form. Sometimes we do it to ourselves. Sometimes it's God allowed. Uh, whatever it is, we have faced suffering. Every single one of us. Either because we lost someone that we loved or so many other reasons. 
That's how we're acquainted with Him. And through that suffering, we learn obedience the way Jesus learned obedience in the suffering of the cross. It teaches us obedience. It teaches us to obey. It teaches us to submit to God. It teaches us to trust Him. I know that we would all like to just have peace. But again, it's not the peace of the world because the peace of the world is superficial. How many times do countries and nations have peace treaties only to be broken after a while? I mean, that peace is always broken. As a matter of fact, the false prophets would always say peace, peace when there really was no peace. It's just a lie. But it's the person who has been truly regenerated by the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've been changed, and you know who you are. Nobody has to tell you where you're sitting at right now. You know in this thing called your heart that I have the peace of God inside of my heart. Why? Because I know that, I, that I'm okay. No matter what happens to me, if I leave from here and turn the corner and, and I'm not desiring it to happen, but if, should the Lord take me home due to a, a car wreck or an accident, it's okay. I'm not going to fear. I'm not going to buckle down. I'm not going to be cowardly. If I get faced uh, outside the door and we walk outside and there's hundreds of people from the LGBTQ ready to cause an uproar and to devour us with sticks and knives, it doesn't matter. I'm going to stand for what I believe in. And I'm going to try to minister them and should they take my life? That's okay. That is what you call peace. Peace is a lack of hostility. There's no more war. When there is peace, there is no more war. What does that mean for us? There's no more war inside of our minds. I'm not warring anymore. Now there's always going to try to be a war. Why? Because the outward man is an enemy of the inward man. Don't do this. And the inward man says, yes, we read Romans where Paul said, the things I don't want to do, those things I do, the things I want to do, those things I don't do. There is a war. That's why the Bible stresses the point of us Walking according to the Spirit. That's where submission comes in. See, Jesus learned obedience through the suffering on the cross. We learn obedience through our picking up of our own cross. We walk through this life, which is our own Via Dolorosa. And sometimes we have uh, the Simons of the world that will come and help us when we fall and we can't carry that cross. But sometimes we have the help of the Spirit of God that causes us to stand up to be able to make it to the very finish line to where that cross is now going to be taken away from us. And that's in the presence of, of Christ. Now, don't get me mistaken, we don't die a physical death. That's not how we earn our salvation. But it's through that picking up our cross, denying ourselves, that's the outward man that causes us to submit to learn obedience to Christ. Because if we just want to obey God, but we still don't have experience with God, it's still a lost person. There's a lot of atheists who do that. There's a lot of humanists who do that. They go feed the poor. They help the homeless. They do so many other things, but yet they're still not in Christ. They don't experience Christ. It's important that we experience the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, through all of that, we have this peace that we all desire. But peace doesn't mean that somewhere in a part of our soul, we still have something that we don't enjoy. The peace is knowing I know who I believed in. I know who I belong to. And I know who I trust in. And through all of that, Jesus said that the world may know that I love the Father. Now, through our carrying of the cross, the world starts to see that we love the Father. Why? They follow. They trust God. They take Him at His word, and they follow it. Nobody has to put handcuffs on them so that they don't steal. Nobody has to put restraints on them so that they don't go and be promiscuous or so that they don't go out and drink. They do it. Why? Because they the Holy Spirit restrains them Himself. Because I don't have to do all of those things. And that's how the world knows that we love God. But right now the world doesn't know the difference between just being in a dating relationship with God or being in a true betrothal with God. Because there is a lot of dating right now. 
It's a failure to go to the altar and become one with Him. Is that not what happens at the altar? When two people get married, they become one. But there is a lot of people just saying, look, I'll love you from a distance. Will people still benefit Christ? Yeah, they, they'll benefit from Him. God is so good that people will benefit. Oh, they're not misusing Him. He's going to have the last word. But we still benefit from being underneath uh, the covering of the church. Why do you think that Paul said that man Deliver him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. Disfellowship him. Why? Because underneath the covering of the church, there is blessing. And sometimes if we're not right with God, we experience that blessing and a person can think, well, then I'm all good. God accepts of what I'm doing. But that's very, that, that's not correct. And that is where we want to uh, be careful, of course, we want to show the world that we love God. Not a certain political party and God. Not America and God. But I pledge allegiance to the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's who I pledge allegiance to. Now, can we love our country? Absolutely, we can love our country. Can we, can we love certain ideologies? Can we love certain? Yes, we can, but it should never be above the knowledge of God. And he turns around and says, arise, let us go from here. Of course, remember, they're finishing supper. So let's go. It's time to leave. And he's going to continue in this discourse with them. But those words, arise. Let us go from here. It reminds me of Genesis chapter 22. And Genesis chapter 22 is the man Abraham. This is the man Abraham. And it says in verse 1 of Genesis chapter 22, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. He split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of God, which he had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. You see the same words. He says, verse 3, that he rose early in the morning. And he went. He went to that place. Jesus said, arise, let us go. Abraham arose and went. Now, was this by unbelief? This was... By faith. Because can you imagine the suffering, that the turmoil that Abraham would have experienced had he of sacrificed Isaac? It would have hurt him. It would have hurt tremendously. But was he concerned with that? He wasn't concerned with it. He was believing God at his word that he is going to make uh, my, uh, my lineage as numerous as the sand in the sea. So Abraham was bright enough to know if I kill my son, how am I going to have fruit from, from, how is there going to be seeds after me? How is it going to grow? It's impossible. So he knew that God was going to do something to fulfill that promise and he trusted. But instead, what did he do? He rose up and he went. He went in faith and he went by faith. Now we know the story that when he got there, now this is a picture of Jesus because it says that he split the wood for the burnt offering. And he arose and went. Now this wood, Isaac carried this wood. And Isaac is a spiritual picture of Jesus. They're going up into the mountain. Well, you see Jesus carrying the cross. It's, it's, a, it's another symbolism and typology that you see there in the Old Testament. And they get up there and he says, don't lay a hand on the boy. The Lord will provide himself as an offering. Now, this is prophetic of speaking of what we celebrated 
last week and what we're even getting into here in John. But do you think that if Abraham doubted God, do you think that if Abraham was afraid or timid or feel fearful or even cowardice, do you think he would have even attempted to do it? But he trusted God at his word. Look, I love my son, my only begotten son, but God gave him to me. Now, if God chooses that he take him away, that's God's prerogative. Is it going to hurt me? Absolutely it is, but I have to trust God. Now, we read, of course, it was a test. And a lot of times, the things in our life that happen, it's a test from God. But sometimes we want to play God when it comes to our own kids or to our own situations. And we want to say, no, I'm going to fix this. I can do this. And God's just testing us to see if we're going to trust him through the situation. In Ephesians chapter 5, that's in the old. That's before he knew the word of God. He he didn't speak with God per se, but he trusted him by faith. Now for us who trust him, for us who believed upon him, we have to be reminded as well. He told them, I tell you these things so that when it happens, what? You may believe. So that you don't back down, so that you're not afraid, so that you may believe. Ephesians chapter 5. And verse 8 says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. It's a clear uh, command to walk in the light, to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. I mean, Scripture is so repetitive in so many things. The darkness and the light, they don't mix. They don't come together. What fellowship has light to do with darkness? But yet many times we still dwell in that darkness. And all that darkness does is it begins to overshadow our light. If we're not uh, abiding in Christ, it starts to overshadow. And it starts to bring us down. Or am I the only one who's experienced that? And so we're called to flee away from that because we're called to manifest the light. Not to be a bullhorn and saying you're wrong for doing this and announcing it all to the world, but to manifest and to show them through that light because maybe they're doing a certain thing and I'm not going to partake in that because that's how you manifest the righteousness. But he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. I would say that that is where, that scripture is very fitting for the church today. Awake you who sleep. There's a lot of sleepwalking in Christ. Arise from the dead. And Christ will give you light. Do you have light this morning? Do you have light burning in your lamp this morning? What is it going to look like? It's going to look like a passion for God. It's going to look like a thirst and a hunger for God. The same way that we hunger right now to go eat after service, it's a hunger for God. I want to go be submerged by the Word of God. I want to be submerged in His presence. I don't want it to stop uh, when the service ends after church, but I want it to continue. That's what light, that's what having light looks like. Not going to church and then going back out into the darkness. That just means I went into church, but I still sat in darkness through church and I went out. But when you have light, you leave from the church walking in the light, exposing the works of darkness. 
And you have in the middle of that this peace and you have a submission now to God and say, okay, now it's pleasing to do for God. And through the suffering that we endure, it begins to teach us obedience. And what is it all for? That the world may know that we love the Father from the grounds of faith, submission, and obedience. Christianity right now, there's probably a lot of people that disagree with me. It's the laughing stock of the world. Not because Jesus is not powerful. It's the laughing stock because of what people are making it. There is people that are walking in the name of God, but they're not walking in Christ. They don't have the power of God's Holy Spirit. And that's why they walk away like this gentleman who walks away and you can hear it in his voice. You're not happy. You said that you're happy, but you're not happy because nobody that's outside of Christ will ever be happy. And the person that is even more miserable than that is a person who sits in chairs week after week in Bible studies, but they have yet to know God. They're going to be full of anger. They're going to be full of envy. They're going to be full of so many things rather than full of the Spirit of God. Because the person who's full of the Spirit of God, they're full of mercy, they're full of grace, they're full of love, they're full of obedience, and it's all because of God the Father. Because the, the, per, the natural person, me, I would never want to do that for anyone. That's having the light of Christ. And, there, and, and the, the time is now where we need to be vocal about it. We can't continue to let people just going on just in this uh, following Christ from a distance. Because it's definitely not going to benefit that person and it's definitely not going to benefit the pulpit who doesn't address it. It has to be addressed to hurt people. No, to cause them. Arise, you who sleep. Arise from the dead and Christ will give you life. It doesn't matter if you weren't serving them yesterday and you thought you were. Today's the day of salvation. Today is what matters. I mean, that's the kind of mess. The message that we receive, it needs to be challenging. If it's not challenging, we're going to stay dead. We're going to stay asleep. It needs to challenge our souls, and it shouldn't upset us. If it makes us wiggle in our seats, guess what? We need to hear that because we probably are asleep or we're becoming lukewarm or maybe we're even dead. But the person who's alive, they're going to say, of course, amen. Now, again, I think sometimes we need to be a little slow to speak in that area. But, I mean, we need to know, look, I know at the end of the day, I know who lives inside of here. Because it's getting dark. Pretty soon, I don't know when, but pretty soon we will start experiencing what these apostles experienced. What other Christians are experiencing in third world countries. We've seen a faint picture of it. People walking into the church, shooting people up, killing people. It's getting there. Now, we can either believe. He said, I've told you these things so that when they do happen, you will believe. You won't be a coward. You won't back down. You won't be quiet. You're going to believe and you're going to move according to faith. Or you, or, you, or you can just back away and avoid it. But he said, so that you can believe. I need you to believe in me. No matter what, no matter what it looks like. And that's one of the hardest things to do. I'm not going to act here like it's easy. It is not easy to trust God. But the best results come from when we trust God. Because it drives us to our knees in prayer. And I've often said that life's precious moments, they happen through prayer through trusting God, through calling out on God. And we can only do that if we're awake, if we've risen up, if we're walking with Christ, if we have the light of Christ. That's the only way that the world is going to look and see and say they love God. Not because their mom and dad made them when they were growing up and they taught them in, in church. No, not because of that. Not because they hold a certain degree or a, or a certain title and people call them by this, that, or what have you. No, they love God because they love God. And no matter what happens, I mean, if a ministry fails and they shut it down, it doesn't matter. Because one thing 
One thing I know, me personally, I don't know about you, but one thing people cannot take from me is my salvation in Christ, and they can't take away my voice for Christ. I don't need a pulpit. I can go stand anywhere, and I can talk to people about what I need to, and I don't need social media either. Because sometimes I think we get a little too confused trying to reach people in other places when we have a mission field right here. We don't need to try to, uh, that's the lazy way. Let me sit somewhere that's nice and address a lot of people rather than being uncomfortable and going out there and doing something positive because the apostles walked for thousands of miles. They left their families and they went to places where they didn't want to go and they ended up dying for what? For the gospel. The world says that's foolishness. They wasted their life, but God says, no, great is their reward in heaven. So today we could say these things Jesus has said. Why? So that we may believe when they happen. When divorces happen. When illness happens. Tragedies happen. They're happening right now. They happen every day. So that we aren't the person who says, I'm done with Christianity. I'm gone. I'm ready to live. Well, if you're ready to live, it's probably because you never lived, period, to begin with. Because to live with Christ is to die with Christ. And that's the bottom line, and the believer knows that. So the urgency, the message is draw closer to God. Believe in Christ. Rise up. Let us go from here. Let us go from the places of just sitting, but let's go continue to be active out there by faith, not by cowardice, not by any other thing. But guess what? In order to do that, we need light. And that light is Christ. And if we have the light, we need to make sure to have oil for that lamps. Yes, we need the infilling of God's Holy Spirit. Yes, ask God. Get on your knees and say, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Let me put everything else aside. I don't care. Yes, I really love to work out. Yes, I really love to watch this certain uh, series on Netflix. God, take it away from me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, God, that people can see that I have light inside of me. You want to challenge God? Challenge Him like that. That's something that He can answer. But we have to be ready to come to that point of submission. Because God tests our heart. He knows. Oh no, they're they're putting on a show in front of everybody so that they can say, oh, they were real godly asking for me to fill them. But they're not ready. They're not ready to let go of certain sin, certain situation. I want you to let go of everything and trust me the way Abraham was ready to let go of his son, his only begotten son. I'm ready. I will drive a dagger through him even though it's going to just pierce my soul, but I'm going to do it because that's how much I believe in God. And that's the same way we need to believe in God with everything, with our family, with our children, with our jobs and our finances, but above all, with our life in Christ, is saying, God, I'm going to trust you. If you called me, God, your word says that you're faithful to keep me. Now, God, if I'm not called, call me today, God, because I'm ready. I'm, I'm done with all kinds of foolishness. I'm done with living unhappy and angry. I'm ready to live for you. The choice is ours today. If we're in Christ, we walk it. If we're not, the choice is ours today to say today is the day that I met the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And that's the same message that we send to other people, but it has to be through faith because these trials, this suffering, it's coming, it's promised. But the Lord will never leave us. How many of us had men that left us? Women that left us? Kids that left us? They treated us wrong and spitefully, but the Lord said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And a love like that, who can deny? God, we don't have the answer to how many times we have to hear. We don't know how many times you have to tell us or we have to read your word or your promises for us to be able to trust you and obey you, God. But it leads us to one conclusion. We're foolish. We're foolish people. We are slow of heart. The same way those brothers walking on the road to Emmaus were. Yeah, they walked with you. Some of us have walked with you in our life. Some of us have yet to walk with you. But we've read about you. We've heard these things. But we're still slow of heart, God. 
Have mercy on us for that, Lord. Help us. Increase our faith, God. That we may believe, Lord. That we may believe when situations happen in our life, God. And we know that it's the fingerprint of Satan wanting to come and to kill and to steal and destroy. But you said, I have come and I've come to give you life and life in abundance. God, there's so many promises that you have for us, God. There's so much joy for the person who walks with you, who experiences with you. God, it's freedom. There's no more anger. There's no more fear. There's no more worries, God. But all I'm concerned with is to experience you, to know you, and to make you known, Father. God, we know that you'll never leave us, God. But help us, God, that we don't walk away from you, God. That we don't suppress you, Father. That we don't make less of you, God. Father, we do. We need revival. We need an outpouring of your Spirit, God, to cause us to not do nothing else but to fall on our knees and weep, God. The time is now, and you need the voices crying out asking for revival, God. Help me to die to myself, God. This wretched man who can deliver us from this body of death. We need you, Lord. We need you, whether sitting in this place, saved or unsaved, we need you. If we don't know it, make us know it today, Father. Bring us to our knees, God, in trust, in you. That is not vanity, God. That is life and life everlasting. But may we never become cowardice, God. May we never back down. May we never live in fear, Lord. May we know, Lord, that you are the Lion of Judah, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, and we should be just as courageous, God. Not obnoxious, but courageous. God, help us in this area, Father. Not just us here, but everyone who names the name of Jesus Christ. Enough is enough, God. Enough complacency. Enough deadness, God. Enough lukewarmness, Father. The time is now, God. The time is now, God, that we would arise and that we would go from here, walking on that road that leads closer to you until we start to see you from afar off. And I say, I see the Lord. He's not near, but I see him afar off and, and he has something ahead for me. Father, we thank you, Lord, for who you are, for what you did, and above all, for your mercy. Teach us, Lord. Teach us in all of our folly that we would glorify you, God. Amen.